Warning, the episode you're about to listen to has lots and lots of harsh language, so listener discretion is advised. But if you like that sort of thing, you might also like our Star Wars reviews and our Harry Potter reviews and the Avengers movies reviews and all the things that you can find at the Pop-Off Podcast at popoffpodcast.com. Or you can subscribe to any of these by searching EPN on iTunes and then hitting subscribe. Okay, that's it. Enjoy Trek Off. It's time for Trek Off. A two-handed Kirk punch to your nuts. Welcome to Trek Off. My name is Justin, and my name is Justin because I'm all by myself, and Alexia is not here uh, because she's been busy filming the quantum suicide of Sophie Miller, and I've been doing Ninjas vs. Monsters, but that is not what I want to talk to you about today. Uh, we are going to be uh, discussing Star Trek headlines from uh, Trek Web, um, where you can hear brand new information you might not have known about the new Star Trek movie and all things Star Trek, and we're going to be doing that for a few minutes and then uh, we are going to be uh, giving you a sneak peek of uh, of something else uh, because uh, a lot of Star Trek fans like myself have become fans of another show as I have called Dr. Who um, and I thought I would talk very briefly about it and then I'm actually going to bait and switch you um, and uh, don't don't hang up I feel like I'm calling my ex-girlfriend hey, don't hang up um, uh, which I don't do. I don't call my ex-girlfriends. I'm not allowed to. The restraining orders. No. Um, the uh, <laughs> I am. It's hard to do this without Alexia here. Man, um, I wish you were here because she'd be going, wow, just wow. And she would submit something and then she'd curse and I would act all Ooh, about it. Plus, I'm doing this, you know, not even with not even a single glass of wine. And that is stinky. Um, point being um, that uh, that, yeah, I have been uh, watching a little Doctor Who, which I just wanted to reject uh, full on um, when I first started. Um, I have to fully admit uh, that when I started it, when I started watching Doctor Who, um, I did it mostly because it had been first my friend Arthur told me to do it and then Phil Stamper who was on the hot mess and we had had a conversation about it and then uh, Mrs. J's uh, parents had been watching it and then her brother and then so by the time we got to the like I'm, so many people are watching I finally started watching it and I was still it was still very British and the effects were still a little cheesy but I kind of tolerated it and now um I've gotten to the point where I was with Buffy. It's it's interesting. I rejected Buffy for real. I've said this before. I've rejected Buffy for a really stinking long time um, because Buffy was for kids and the effects were silly looking and Star Trek just was always more like film ish to me. And I, you know, when I finally started watching Buffy it became as big a thing for me. I don't think Doctor Who will. Um, I really like it, but it's not Trek, um, but it's something I'm really enjoying. Um, and, uh, I know that a lot of times Star Trek fans are also Dr. Who fans. And so what I'm going to present for you in just a minute is the very first episode of the newest podcast on our network, which is, uh, the actually doesn't have a name right now. We're calling it uh, podcast Who uh, until Phil comes up with a better name than that, unless he doesn't, unless he likes that. Um, but, uh, it is, uh, our Dr. Who podcast, uh, hosted by, uh, the former host of the hot mess, Phil Stamper. Um, it's really good, especially if you've watched the, uh, shows, if you're, if you've watched the shows already, you, uh, you can go ahead and listen. If you haven't watched the shows, I would go ahead and watch the very first episode. If you're thinking of a place to start, um, 
give it a try. It's on Netflix. It streams. Uh, same place where you can watch Ninja vs. Um and uh, and just give it a try. See what you think um, of the first episode, uh, Rose of uh, Doctor Who. Then you can listen to his podcast. But I figured, uh, given that honestly, it's been a week, and I I just got off the phone with Alexia, and she said we couldn't record till next week, um, and I didn't want to go without anything, and I didn't want to just kind of point up and bait and switch and go, hey, here you go. Um, I figured that I would talk just a little, like I'm doing right now. Um, and then I'd go ahead and give you guys, uh, and like, uh, some of that. Um, if you do like that, if you end up liking that, um, keep an eye on it on your iTunes, go ahead and subscribe to it or follow it. whatever you're doing, uh, that makes you follow this one. Go ahead and follow that one. Um, because it is, uh, it is a great, uh, intro to Dr. Who. It's an episode by episode, uh, review of it. And it's just on the, on the second episode now. Um, so it's really easy to go with as, uh, as Phil is rewatching. So if you've already seen it, um, I haven't watched the first episode in months, but, uh, it was really easy to listen to. So, uh, I hope you enjoy it. Um, in Star Trek news, uh, because I do want to do some uh, Star Trek stuff before uh, we get there. Um, I was just on uh, Trek Web, which is um, one of the message boards that I go to for Star Trek. And I will tell you, they are a volatile bunch there sometimes, man. I like them. But uh, but in general, these guys just really yell at each other a lot. And and it it worries me um, that there there are people on there that one person picks on another and then they gang up on each other and whatnot. And uh, I've tried to chime in and be the voice of reason there um, from time to time. And sometimes it's entertaining just to see people yell at each other. But uh, these guys are some impassioned, uh, impassioned uh, Star Trek uh, viewers and a lot of a lot of whom I really, really respect um, and some of whom are. Are, I guess I've learned uh, what a troll is. Uh, I thought it was something different. I thought it was someone who was just being mean or something. Turns out uh, the definition of a troll on a message board like this, I didn't know. It's not like they're a troll like living in a ridge. It's like they're trolling for something. Like they're out there. I guess that's the point. Um, but someone who tries to start arguments by making a comment that that people would argue with and then arguing and because they enjoy the debate. Um, and it was interesting to me uh that that happens so much there and that people get banned from there and whatnot. But um, man, if you want uh, an interesting place, both to see what other fans are like, uh, some of whom are, are incredibly insightful and awesome. And some of whom, like I said, are, are very angry and some of whom uh, get very angry at the people who are very angry. So it's, it's, it's an interesting bunch. Plus for like the, the quickest up to date uh, Star Trek news, it's there. And I thought that I would go uh, real quick through um, and talk about the, uh, I'm just want to read you like the first few uh, headlines off of there The right now, May 13th uh, it's uh, Peter Weller talking about his character in Star Trek 12. And it says, uh, at the Robocop 25th anniversary event for the Dallas International Film Festival recently Weller was asked if he could share anything new with the fans about his role in Star Trek 12 he said I can't tell you I'm sworn to secrecy it's something very cool asked him if he was going to play an alien like Christopher Plummer Christopher Lloyd and others who sometimes have been burned underneath or buried underneath prosthetics and makeup he said no do I look like an alien to you no man let me put it this way I have my own ship so that's interesting um <coughs> going on uh leonard nimoy uh um is vehemently de- denying that he is in uh any way in star trek uh two or 12 depending on what you want to call he said um 
on NBC. He said, my feeling is that they don't need me. They've got a wonderful cast. Zachary Quinto has taken on the character of Spock, and I think he's wonderfully suited. He is a talented guy. He's a very intelligent actor, very well trained. They've got a great company of people replacing all of us. I don't think they need me, frankly. It's going to be, it's flattering to be talked about, but I just don't think they need me. I understand, by the way, that they have just finished shooting, and they've got a wonderful actor, Mr. Benedict Cumberbatch, who has a great reputation in the UK, and I think is going to build a reputation here in the United States very quickly. He's in the movie. They're going to do just fine. So that is uh, what Leonard Nimoy has to say about that. If that sounded like a little jump, it was. I had a little technical difficulty, but we got over it. Um, they have a new photos of Alice Eve and Zachary Quinto. Um, and Zachary Quinto provides a minor spoiler. So here is uh, shut your ears for 10 seconds. Um, uh, if you don't want to know the minor spoiler, but he does say ready uh, and go one. Two. He reveals actors Alice Eve and Zachary Quinto as Spock in the next Star Trek 12. They're wearing flight suit style uniforms. It's interesting. Okay, uh, come back if you uh, did not want to hear those spoilers. Um, they are talking about the German cover for the uh, next TOS novel fixed with classic Enterprise. Um, uh, and it is called... Uh, uh, oh, it's interesting. It looks like it has Harry Mudd on it. Um, so that is a, T- a TOS novel coming up. Um, Robert Orsi, one of the writers of Star Trek 12, says that it will not be a, a remake. Um, and finally, Simon Pegg and Zachary Quinto has said that Star Trek 12 has wrapped filming, which is interesting because I also have wrapped filming on Ninjas vs. Monsters. So uh, hold on one second. Bink, bink. So that is uh, that is the news from TrekWeb. So uh, you did get something special uh, on Ninjas versus not, not Ninjas versus. Look, I just did the Ninjas versus You podcast like a second ago, and now I am uh, now I am blowing it here by myself. Where's my partner? Um, so without further ado, uh, let's talk Doctor Who uh, with Phil Stamper. Uh, please enjoy his podcast, and then if you do. Um, Go ahead and, and subscribe to it and give him a listen and tell your friends about uh, him because uh, it's a cool podcast and uh, he deserves deserves the listenership. So without further ado, here is Podcast 2 with Phil Stamper. This is Justin and uh, for Alexia, trek off. Um, nice people. Hey everybody, my name is Phil Stamper and we're back on the Inlight Podcast Network to talk about things Doctor Who. No, it's not the Hot Mess Podcast. And really, really quick, just to touch on that, I wanted to, with the Hot Mess Podcast, I wanted to do things that were topical and current and provide a regular schedule, but my my personal schedule got crazy. I got a new job, I've been involved in lots of stuff on the weekends. Hi everybody from Ninjas vs. Monsters, I'm waving at you, and game change and all sorts of stuff, um, family stuff and wrestling started to pick back up, so... Justin Timpain, the owner of the Enlight Podcast Network, came to me and said, Philip, why don't you do a podcast about Doctor Who? And my face got really excited and opened up my mouth and went, yeah, but there's a lot of them. And how could I be different? And he was like, well, Phil, it's you. And you are a huge fan of Doctor Who. And you will find a way to make it your own and something that we can put as part of the Enlight Podcast Network family and air it the way you want to. So have a few ideas about that. But first is a little bit of a challenge and for those of you who've ever watched Doctor Who and for those of you who are going to watch Doctor Who now that you're going to listen to this you will uncover about 75% of my personality you will find out the eccentricity that is me 
is from Doctor Who. Really, honestly and truly. But part of with that, if you ever watch Doctor Who, the Doctor both has and doesn't have rules. I'm kind of with that right now, like, for the fact that I don't have a name for this podcast. And I think I just heard Justin Timpain drop on the floor because he's given me another opportunity to do another podcast. And I don't have a name for this podcast. So I'm trying to determine what to call it. And I have three finalists, and I want you to help me figure this out. So, A, the Doctor Who podcast project. Why? Because this is a podcast project about Doctor Who. See, it's like cyclical. You got to like it. The other two I thought could leave it a little bit more open so it wasn't always about Doctor Who but could go back to the theme. The first one is podcasts are cool. I'm smirking. This is my smirk sound face. You hear the whoosh? Open palms, mic away from face, smirk on face. Podcasts are cool. And for those of you who are up to speed on things Doctor Who, you know where that's coming from. The other one is the podcast with no name. I made a really happy face right then. The podcast with no name. I like that. Don't you like that? Anyway, so I want you three to, you to pick between those three. The Doctor Who Podcast Project. Podcasts are cool. Or the podcast with no name. So what am I going to do? So I'm not going to take you back to 1963 and go through 50 years of a television program. And I am a, an insane fan about Doctor Who. And even some of those older episodes I have not seen. I know gasp, shock, and all. I've seen a lot. I've seen most of them. Probably anything that you can find. But I haven't found all of them because there are still some recordings that are missing from way back when. But we're not going to go there. We're going and moving on when, with the series when it came back in 2005. It's a little bit more current, a little bit more topical. And it's going to be a lot easier to bring you up to speed. Because along the way since 2005, they've referenced you know, the rest of the 45 years of the history of Doctor Who. Something I think is really neat about Doctor Who is it's a show that is constantly reinventing itself. And it's science fiction, I don't want to say in its finest. Because there are some times when I'm like, okay guys. Come on. I love Doctor Who, though. I love it with a tremendous passion. And and what I thought to bring you, instead of just doing an episode-by-episode-by-episode-by-episode review, is to combine two episodes into one, plop it in the podcast. And because I'm that that guy, I was going to bring you up to speed on some of the production stuff, some of the backstage stories that were going on. And already, off the bat, on this first episode, I'm breaking my own rule. I'm not going to do two episodes. I'm going to kind of bring you up to speed with what happened between the time the show went off the air, they had a TV movie, and brought back the series. Now, I've talked some about this on the, on the pop-off that we did about Doctor Who on the Endlight Podcast Network, so I'm not going to rehash all of that. That's going to take some time, and I'm not going to do all of that. For those of you who want the quick gist of what is Doctor Who, go to the pop-off podcast about Doctor Who, because that will fully explain everything. Sort of, because it's Doctor Who in 45 minutes. But we're going to move forward here and bring you a little bit more up to speed with exactly what happened. So in the 80s, Doctor Who had been on the air for about 25 years. And at that time, the series was having a little bit of fatigue. I mean, it was it was an institution in England, but there was also a lot of controversy. I mean, it was a science fiction show, but didn't necessarily pull back from some of the perceptions of, of violence, I guess is the nicest way to put it. Because let's face it, the, the effects in the original show when it ran were not awesome. But 
what that left then was for people who are watching and the shows were geared as family entertainment. So whole families were watching this television show and kids were watching this television show and they were literally huddled behind couches because they they were so afraid, but not because of the cheap foam latex and aluminum foil monsters that they were watching, but because they had to use their imagination sometimes for the show. And that I think is what left it so scary for some kids and left that element of violence sort of hanging out there. And I mean, it's tame by modern television, but let's face it. But in the, in the eighties, it, it just started to hit a wall and, and there were sort of trips along the way. And it, because it was a, this show that was so big, I think the BBC made some mistakes. They made mistakes like, Oh, well, you know, it's a show that's been on for 50 years. We don't need to throw as much budget towards it. But then it was a science fiction television show, and you have to think in the eighties, the Star Trek, the Star Trek, the television show had been made in two movies, was now coming into its own series, as with the Star Trek: The Next Generation. You've had the Star Wars movies, and all of that brought with it a certain level of special effects that Doctor Who just didn't have, and so they were sort of in this quandary: how much money do we spend on a show that everybody is sort of watching? How much energy do we want to put towards it? Plus, it's bringing in so much controversy. But Doctor Who had developed by that point into a television show that kids and families started to watch in the 60s. Well, now this first generation of people who had grown up with the show, who are now parents and now they're watching it with their children, are watching the show. And so it it had become generational. It had become ingrained into the institution that was British television. But at the same time, as, as you see this, even on American television, Fox, I'm looking at you, as you see this on American television, sometimes there are not quite as smart of people put in good places <laughs> to make some decisions when it comes to television. So Doctor Who dropped on its budget. Um, I think, honestly, they made really bad casting and story choices that sort of push Doctor Who out, which is which is definitely a shame, and they struggled with that throughout the entire 80s. That was almost sort of what they did, and, and for the first time after like 25 years, they hit a hiatus year because they were like, we just need a, a break, and they actually thought about not bringing it back. It created this whole little series called The uh, Trial of a Time Lord, and it really was because it was like Doctor Who was on trial, and in a way, it really was. Well, what they also realized was we did not cast the most excellent person in the role of the Doctor. Honestly, Colin Baker was not my favorite Doctor. And then brought in Sylvester McCoy. And and what started to evolve was they they started this, we're going to seriously reinvent ourselves. And what does that mean? And how are we going to do it? And, And it sort of twisted Doctor Who into becoming a bigger mystery again. Because, you, you know, after 25 years, okay, you feel like you've come to know who this person is. And maybe not really, but there was sort of that sense of that. So I think at that point, you know, after two generations of people watching, people started to get, okay, we need something new, newer. And BBC didn't know what to do with that, and they stopped the show. And really, I think it was coming back into bigger popularity again, but they stopped it. But what that created was then a longing BBC had a, and well, actually, I should say Virgin Books had a tremendous hit with their book series. And the the BBC still does. The BBC's regained the rights to their book series and do radio plays. And they actually had stage plays of Doctor Who that were sellouts. And and they weren't 
understanding it. And it took a while, and, and finally somebody came together and said, we're going to do a television movie, and, and but we need more funding. We need a better way to do this because special effects are there, and we don't have this money, and we need this money. So what are we going to do? We're going to partner with Fox in America. And together, BBC and, America, uh, BBC and Fox are going to put together a Doctor Who movie and create a backdoor pilot. And there was even discussions of, we're going to reinvent the entire series. We're going to start from scratch. We're going to make it a fully American cast. And, and it was thought, well, you know what? There's some things about Doctor Who that are really intrinsically British, British. But more than that, there was a huge fan base in America. And they realized that. Now, Fox wanted some things like, okay, well, if you want Brit- a British actor to be the doctor, well, we want it to be Sting. And, and that just didn't fly. So, so they agreed on Paul McGann. Paul McGann came in and did the movie. Interestingly enough, the cities that had public television that aired Doctor Who had phenomenal ratings. Ratings that you normally would not see in these locations. Like 14.3, I think, was what DC got in the ratings, which is phenomenal, but not the majority of Americans watched it. But you could imagine in Britain, ratings were astronomical, but still there was this thought, is it enough? Is it enough to sustain a program that has the heritage of a Doctor Who that really could just take off and be a series again? And it took from 1996 when they did that television movie until the early 2000s when Russell T. Davies, the man who, lifelong Doctor Who fan, who really stepped forward and said, I am a true fan, I'm in television, I want to bring back Doctor Who. And still there was this resistance. I mean, Doctor Who, when it went off the air again after this movie, still, still had brilliant books that were being sold out. They had stage plays of Doctor Who that were being sold out. They had radio plays that were hitting high sales, and they still didn't know if they could do it. And some of it still had to do with that perception of special effects in the modern day. Did we want to throw the money towards a television program like Doctor Who because it's going to be a lot of money and and a lot of a very fervent fan base. Plus, what else could you do with Doctor Who? Because even after 25 years, there were still things you were learning, and the story was sort of changing a little bit near the end to alluding to that there was more to the Doctor. It was still thought, okay, we need some new elements. So when Doctor Who comes back and, and these images started to be released of the new Doctor, Christopher Eccleston, and people were very excited about Christopher Eccleston because he he himself had a very different look. It's not the image of what people think of when they think the doctor he wasn't froppy he wasn't all over the place he looked sort of together but mysterious and i think that was the hook they really grabbed and a little darker and that they felt okay this is going to have a different feel to it and one of the things that russell t davies did that he said in the interview that i really disagreed with about the interview but but that he said that he did purposefully was that he had the idea for rose tyler to be the companion because the companion was always integral in helping to explain to the audience what was going on. Because, you know, the doctor is so super intelligent, it's just running around all over the place, and you need that person to ask, hey, doctor, what does this do? What does this mean? Or, oh, I get it, it's like this, and using some analogy kind of thing. I never really saw that. I see it to a degree. I, you know, I definitely got, you know, 
they're that person that asks, oh, doctor, what does this do? But more than that, you know, I don't live through the companion's experience. I live through the doctor's experience. At least that was my own personal feeling about it. But it was done very smart when they brought the television show back because it was very much built on the back of the companion as opposed to really the doctor, but not in a way that turned you away from the doctor. It didn't give you this, oh, now the doctor's the side character and the companion's the main character. It really made you feel that this is an entourage piece. And of course, the doctor is the stars. The doctor. The show's called Doctor Who, not Rose Tyler joins the doctor. But then there started to be the casting of Rose, which was Billy Piper. And Billy Piper was a pop star in her late teens and now is in her early 20s and is signed on to be in Doctor Who. And I think that made everybody go, what? Wait a minute. This person has a little bit of recognition and now she's going to be the Doctor's companion. Okay. Okay, this is getting a little more interesting. Which starts to bring us to the first episode of the new series. Simply enough called Rose. And obvi- you know, by that point they'd already released... Billy Piper was going to be the new companion, and the new companion's name was Rose. So a lot of people were like, okay, well, I guess this is how we're going to meet her. And thrust immediately into the middle of an episode. Really, it's sort of, it starts, it's Rose Tyler, it's the day-to-day grind that you everybody lives every second of their life without really paying attention to it. They wake up every morning, they go to work, they do their job, they end their day. They wake up again at the same time the next morning, they drive to work, they go to work, they work, end of day. And then in the middle of all this, insanity ensues. And who's there but the doctor? Uh, the first thing right off the bat, Rose Tyler is about to make a money drop. And she sees somebody in the shadows lurking around. And uh, she sees a mannequin basically moving towards her. And she's unsure. She thinks at first it's some kind of joke. But then realizes something really isn't right. And then here comes the doctor, shoves out his hand, looks at her and says run and they do they run and in the course of the running he tells her to get away and blows up her workplace and it just sort of throws everything out of whack now here for the first time you start getting more of the companion than you've than you've ever had because in this whole establishment of rose tyler and she's in this day-to-day grind you meet her mother you meet her boyfriend, and you've certainly had some level of certain relationships in Doctor Who, but never like, never like this. This was a very different feel for the show that made it almost feel like, okay, this is how it could work for modern day. For you know, casual person A to bump into the Doctor. And so right away, again, you're thrust into this adventure. And, and the Doctor saves Rose Tyler's life. She goes off and is like, okay, what's just happened? Well, she wakes up, and she brought with her from the store this arm of the mannequin that the doctor then traces back to her apartment. That leads to one of the first great moments, I think, comedic moments of this new Doctor Who, because Rose Tyler goes to the door, here's the doctor, they have a little back-and-forth moment, and, uh, of course, her, he, she hasn't said to anybody, yeah, this crazy man saved my life. So her mother's in the apartment. And she looks at the mother and says, oh, this guy, he's here about uh, some insurance thing about the store and everything that's happened. And Rose walks away and the mother's in the bedroom wearing her nightgown. And, and she's 
I'm not going to say she's drop dead gorgeous because that would be a lie. She's a mother. She's, I want to say she's a typical, like, I'm in my late 30s, early 40s, and I'm a mother. Um, And she looks at the doctor and goes, I'm alone in my bedroom. He goes, yes. I'm a woman alone in my bedroom with a nightgown with a stranger in my bedroom. Yes. Is there anything you'd like to do? <laughs> or, or something along those lines. And he goes, no. And walks away. And to me, I was like, okay, I'm now, I'm, I'm now head over heels. I'm into this show. And it starts right away because the the first question that a lot of people had when they were bringing back the doctor is when, even when they did the television movie, they did a regeneration of the doctor from the actor who played him before to uh, Paul McGann. Well, Sylvester McCoy to Paul McGann. Don't anybody to think I don't know my doctors, but when they brought back this doctor who they weren't, there was a lot of scuttlebutt about how are they going to do it? Are they going to show the regeneration and what happened? And they made that very conscious decision. No, they were going to jump right on in with the man who was currently playing the doctor, Christopher, Christopher Eccleston, because it was going to play to something much larger that I'll, they'll talk about in a moment. So right away you get this sense of here's this brand new man. And there's certainly some play of that in this very first scene with Rose of like, he's looking at himself in the mirror. He's sort of making fun of his appearance. It's sort of a, a sticky thing that's happened in Dr. Who before about like, Oh, look at these funny ears that I have now. And cause his appearance has changed and you get the sense that maybe he's recently regenerated now behind the scenes of Dr. Who, Again, very popular book series have been going on. Very co- popular comic book series have been going on. And they gave the Doctor Who comic book series an opportunity to wrap up its storylines and feed into the regeneration of the current Doctor. And they were so vested and had fans that were so vested in the current adventure and the current companion of, of that Doctor. They, they, act, they didn't show what they were going to do. They actually had a plan written out for the regeneration of the Doctor in the comic book, and it was sanctioned by the BBC. And then the BBC came back and said, well, wait a minute. No, the first companion our Doctor will, will ever have will be Rose Tyler. And they had a companion in the comic book series, and they made the decision, no, we're not going to just get rid of her. We're not going to kill her off. We're not going to you know just dump her on some alien planet. And then he regenerates. Very consciously, they ended it with and without an ending they ended it and i can't remember the companion's name i want to say it was an alien named matilda and i think that's so wrong but they ended it in sort of this big explosion of light he saves the day he doesn't die and they go off into the sunset to continue their adventures for an undetermined amount of time so this is the first companion that this doctor has ever had and it's rose tyler now now again not yet are they a companion but right away again she she's like something is weird here's this strange guy well in the midst of him figuring who he is and she's like rambling off about different things he sees this mannequin arm grabs the arm with the arm attacks him a detached mannequin arm attacks him now this is all a reference to an alien that existed in doctor who called the auton autons but the, yeah it's, it's building that because here is a show right off the bat you have mannequins moving on their own you have this creepy detached arm that's now attacking the doctor right off the bat and so if there was any thoughts about this was going to be regenerated towards a straight children's program oh no this was brought in to be a family program to be watched as a family and there's going to be scary moments and happy moments and funny moments and crazy moments and smart moments and all over the place 
And that's Doctor Who, and that's part of that love. So they have this little struggle with the mannequin arm. It attacks the Doctor. Rose sees it. She tries to save the Doctor. The arm attacks him. Well, he eventually uses his sonic screwdriver, a tool of the Doctor that has existed since the dawn of time. Um, that's a little bit more than that. But really, the tool, ha- the Doctor has sort of a tool. Uh, it's sort of... it's in itself a plot device it it can get him out of almost anything and what's so funny is as the series has gone on they've now found ways to block the use of the sonic screwdriver things that never existed in the old series that now oh look there's a new challenge so very smart very wisely done so rose and doctor save the day rose now knows okay this guy is not something else is going on here and He's like, okay, you know, thank you for saving me. Now, thank you. I'm glad I've saved you. I'm leaving now. And she's like, oh, no, you're not. So they, she walks after him and they go on the street. And then one of the first more serious moments that start to give you this, the scope and the feel of Doctor Who again is she's trying to ask him who he is. And she, I think, is picking up right away that she, he is not entirely human. And he stops and grabs her hand and was like, do you feel that? She looks at him like, no. He's like, I do. I feel the spin of the earth. I see. I feel the earth as it shovels through space. I see anything and everything that ever could be and how it will happen. I feel it all the time. And then let's go over Rose's hand and it's like, and this is just this. And it, I mean, it's an amazing, like it gives you sort of like, I think a bigger feel of the scope of who the doctor is as a person. And Rose thinks about it and watches him walk away. And of course you see the TARDIS, the iconic blue foam box that, that represents Dr. Who in so many ways. You see that in the background and he's walking off to it. You don't ever really see him go into it, but she looks away and then she hears the sound of this machine reverberating. She looks back and the, the blue box is gone. The foam box is gone. And she's like, wait a minute. You know, you see this look on her face like, did I just see that? Or am I just losing my mind? So then, of course, what does any respectful person do in 2005 when they have a mystery on their hands? Well, the same thing you do in 2012, you go to the Internet and you look it up. So she goes up the Internet and types in the doctor. And, of course, what happens when you type in doctor on the Internet? 500,000 searches come up. And what does what does a search result yield? But Doctor Who. Huh? She clicks on it and she sees an image of the man that she thinks she has just seen, but it's an older image and it's like contact, uh, I can't remember the name of the guy, or of the character, contact this guy if you've seen this man. She contacts him, she goes with her boyfriend and she thinks this guy is just crazy. Like she thinks this guy's like must have photoshopped images of this doctor guy. And he tells you some more of this bigger scope, like, oh, it's a title that must be passed down from father to son throughout time. Because he shows up everywhere. But whatever the doctor goes, trouble follows him and death will follow him. Which is something that leads in through the entire show and sort of underlying in Rose's arc too is that death will always follow him. And she leaves thinking he's a nut. What she doesn't realize is, meanwhile, on the outside, her boyfriend's in the car, like, waiting for her, and he gets kidnapped by this alien entity. They go to, so she goes to dinner with now somebody that isn't her boyfriend, and she's like, okay, you're not right. Something's not right here. The doctor has 
comes in and saves the day. But something about the Doctor that that over time, that it does come up now and again even in the new series, that has the Doctor become so alien and so different that he's lost some of that sense of connection that, you know, he's without a companion. He doesn't have somebody to help him or to stop him as that comes up later also in the series. That he doesn't have somebody to rely on or to sort of like wake him out of that doldrum of his, of his own intelligence really. And so Rose sort of hates the doctor because she's like, wait a minute, you didn't realize that my boyfriend could be dead. You just like ran and saved the day tore this plastic copy of my boyfriend's head off. And you don't even ask that question of what happened to my boyfriend or even asked his name. Like what's wrong with you? And that's when, in this little adventure, she's trying to escape from now this headless rope plastic thing uh, called an auton. Uh, yes, I know what it is. See, that's the thing that gets me about Doctor Who fans is that sometimes, like, if you say, say things like this ro- plastic robotic thing, that people, you know, they will yell at you. They will, like, chew your face off. I know it's an auton. I'm just saying it because I'm caught in my own words right now. Well, they go behind where they're trying to race from, and here's Rose frantically checking every door and trying to get out, and the doctor's just strolling. It's that Pepe Le Pew moment where you have the cat that's, like, running 5,000 miles an hour, and you have Pepe Le Pew just strolling. Here's the doctor, like, opening the phone box, and she's like, why are you going in there? (laughs) They're going to find us. He's like, oh, don't worry. It's safe. She's like, it's wood. She's like, "Ah, I think it'll last. She goes in, and what does she find? Just like all the companions find when they walk into this room that they see from the outside when they look at the do- at the TARDIS. It's a phone box, you know, probably a six by six blue wooden box about eight feet tall. She runs inside, and for the first time, us as fans, we get to see the inside of the new TARDIS, and it is immense. It's a living structure made of coral and glass and machinery and hocked off parts of, of machinery to build this console room and she runs in into this gigantic space that possibly cannot possibly exist inside this tiny little box that she's just run into and she runs back out she looks at the box she walks around the box she runs inside and he goes is there something you'd like to say it's bigger on the inside (laughs) and that's uh, that also becomes sort of a sticky thing that they do for the new series too because everybody everybody walks into that the TARDIS and goes it's bigger on the inside the TARDIS is a machine that travels through time and space that's uh, dimensionally, dimensionally transcendent. That Yes, I said that word, dimensionally transcendent. That allows you to put more on the inside than is on the outside. The fourth doctor had this explanation. He, he put two blocks of one that was smaller and one that was larger next to each other. And he looks at his companion. The companion he had at the time was, was um, like an Amazon he put, puts the blocks together and goes, which one is bigger? And she points to, well, the, the block that was bigger. He has her hold the larger block next to her face and from the camera's perspective right in front of the camera. And then he takes the little block and walks further away from it and goes, and, and from the camera's perspective, because now he's walked farther away, he says, now which block is bigger? And because of the perspective of the camera, because you have this block that's right up so close to it, it looks like a bigger block further away. And she's like, well, now which one is bigger? And she points to the, still the bigger block. 
But the whole point is you can keep something further away and yet close and have it fit inside. It's transdimensional architecture. I hope I made that make some kind of coherent sense trying to explain it auditorily. So basically, Rose walks into this TARDIS. It's a huge, huge, vast room. She doesn't understand. And what happens next? Well, the machine roars. They open up the doors. And instead of being where they just were, they're now in the middle of London, right near the Eye of London, that big uh, Ferris wheel-looking thing called the Eye. They're right near that. And she walks out and goes, we've moved. How could this police box thing possibly have moved? And then you really hear it. She really makes that connection that he, the doctor, is not human. And she's not scared of that. She's actually a little bit enticed by that. She's intrigued by it and is still connecting to him because he's still making comments about Rose's boyfriend not being alive. He's probably dead or whatever. And she's just like, are you stupid? I'm standing right here and you're just blowing me off. And you're saying my friend, my my boyfriend could just be dead and you don't care. Who are you, you crazy person? Well, they continue through the adventure. They have the... They're trying to find the Auton because he has something called anti-plastic. And he's, as they race in to defeat this this alien menace of living plastic, Rose finds Mickey, her boyfriend, is still alive. And she's like, what are you going to do with that living plastic? You know, she she knows what the intent is. That he's going to throw it in. He's going to save the day. He's going to kill the big bad, big, bad alien monster. And he goes, no, I need to give it a second chance. And that was so telling even more of the doctor. Like, he, you know, here's this man who was gung-ho and there was explosions and all sorts of crazy things. But right before he stops this alien menace, he wants to give it a chance to stop. Because that's the kind of man he is. And he tries to argue. Of course, the bad guy doesn't want to listen. And Rose comes in and saves the day. And she, she makes a, a phrase like, you know what? I may not be the smartest. I may not be the most intelligent. But you know what I do got? I do got what I do have is A-levels in gymnastics. She grabs a rope, she swings off a platform, and she kicks um, one of the autons into this pit of fiery, fiery living plastic that also kicks in the canister of anti-plastic that destroys the alien. Rose runs off with her boyfriend and now the doctor, and it's like, okay, woo, big adventure. And the doctor goes off the TARDIS doctor and him and Rose have a moment of, okay, well, you know, see you, see you on the road. And the doctor tries to get Rose to come with him. And he's like, oh, you know, think of the fun we could have. You know, I travel all over the place. She's like, she looks at her boyfriend, Mickey. No, no, I, I should probably, probably, yeah, I should probably stay here. And, you know, she's so exasperated. She just knows because now Mickey's beside himself. He doesn't understand what's going on. He's just been kidnapped by some strange alien entity that made a plastic double of him and now here's this man going come away with me and she's like um i'm good i'm i'm good you're crazy he goes in the machine i think it oh it it takes off it comes back now when it takes off it just sort of vanishes and whooshy whooshy and and dissolves away well it comes back and the doctor's there he opens up the door and goes did i mention it also travels through time Rose looks at her boyfriend, Mickey, and goes, thanks. And Mickey looks back and goes, what for? 
Rose goes, exactly, <laughs> and darts to the TARDIS door where they start this adventure. And in in Britain again, this was this is a show that has been so heralded for so long that it just absolutely made everybody's heart melt. Uh, yeah, that was a horrible, horrible plastic reference. Um, and it, it, it established all these great characters that now start reappearing in Doctor Who for the next several seasons. So you have Rose, of course, who now is the doc- with the Doctor and his companion as his companion. And when I say companion, it's like friend who travels through time and space. Now, of course, it develops into something perhaps more involved later on. But also it brings to the cast not only Rose's mom, her boyfriend, Mickey Smith, who's played by the a great British actor, Noel Clark, um, who has been heralded for his work not only as an actor but as a as a screenwriter, that it brings all of these people out. And Doctor Who becomes such a success in Britain that what happens now for the rest of the season, even the following season, starts establishing spinoff shows because the show itself is so popular and people couldn't get enough of it that there's now additional content being created to just give you more and more about that immense Doctor Who universe. And I was just realizing, I'm looking on Wikipedia right now, and I I realized maybe I should have given you the description that was written in like Wikipedia or TV Guide or something for this first episode of of Rose. But I hope you get it. I hope, And I hope as we talk about Doctor Who, you start understanding like, oh wow, there is this huge universe. Because really, the, the TARDIS itself, this machine that the Doctor has, stands for time and relative dimensions in space. And what it is supposed to imply that, that this first couple of seasons establish that at the end of that episode, the Doctor tells Rose, um, I'm the only one. I'm the only Time Lord left. Now that's a big change from the history of the show before its revival. There were always Time Lords. They were, you know... Literally, they were literally lords of time. They were lording over time and all this regalness and all these rules. And the Doctor was the renegade running away from them. And right away you get, he's by himself, he's alone. He's the only one of his kind who's left. And you have this, this little sensation in the back of your head that he did something to cause it. Whatever happened, it was his fault. And you would be correct as it turns, as you come to find out. And he goes more into it as time goes on. And for the next adventure, which I won't talk about today, but I'll give you a little teaser. He takes Rose into the far future of Earth. What will be the Earth's final days? Now, one of the interesting things about the Doctor, as he explains now what's happening in the series, because something that, that you could always sort of befuddle and change in the past was this is a machine that travels through time and space well if you change one action in the past you know you walk left instead of right it changes everything that then follows in the history of time so you could go to the future and exist in the year 5000 go to the past have a couple adventures well you go back to the year 5000 and it's a totally different era something has changed by your presence in the past and because the TARDIS has relative dimensions you could go back and forth sort of between the alternate timelines. And it wasn't ever given like, uh, you weren't going like sliders. You're not going to alternate realities, but it's just where that timeline has now headed. And it's never given in the series even as something that deep. But really what it starts to developing 
starts developing in this season is this understanding that there was really only one timeline. You're not really floating through this big vast time and space where anything could happen in the year 5000. If you've hap- happened to land in the year 5000, it's because there's been this line of events that have led you to this, to the year 5000. So the doctor takes Rose to the year 5 billion in the next episode because it's the only 5 billion that could exist. And that leads to something else in the series, and it leads to something else in the series. And this is where it starts to get deeper. I mean, it, this is definitely something you're not going to get out of the first couple of episodes. There's so many elements that are added right off the bat. The, ro- uh, the doctor grabbing Rose's hand, saying, run with me. The development of Mickey and his mother as, as part of the story of Doctor Who. Again, something you've never really had before. This understanding that the doctor is the only Time Lord now left and characters that start to be put into place right away in the early part of the show that are now peppered throughout the doctor who universe and have so much bigger meaning um oh my gosh i'm now realizing the episode that's coming next called the end of the world and there are so many great story elements that you're going to get out of that i'm I'm, yes i'm having my moment i'm having to fan myself you hear the fan I'm fanning myself. That's right. Uh, so thank you for being with me today on whatever this podcast shall be named, the podcast with no name, the Doctor Who Podcast Project, or podcasts are cool. I hope to hear from you. Let me know what you think. Of course, you can always find me on Facebook and Twitter at PS Phenom. Uh, check it out. I hope you like the podcast. Let me know what you think. Let me know what questions you have about things connected to Doctor Who. I have some other ideas. I think what I may do at the end of each episode is maybe a little bit of a Doctor Who roundup. I mean, currently right now, the the next season of Doctor Who, or series as they call it in the UK, won't be out until the fall. But there's a lot of things that are coming. I don't want to give you spoilers. Unless you want spoilers. I'm debating having thoughts because I mean we're already a couple doctors out so maybe I'll avoid some things but maybe just connect to news items as I see them about Doctor Who that don't give away story plots as best as I can and as we go on you know right now I'm giving you like the the, the foundation I'm laying out to you okay look at all these characters here's the doctor this is what he is this is what he does this is the TARDIS this is what happens because it establishes, you know, all these characters in the first few episodes. And then after we get past really episode, I'm going to say four, now you are entrenched. You don't know it yet, but you have now uncovered the next three years of Doctor Who in the first four episodes. And it's immense. And you don't know it yet. So I'm telling you, it's it's going to be deep. In, it's going to be deep in here. Uh, so thank you for being with me. And I will catch you next time right here on the Enlight Podcast Network. You are listening to the Enlight Podcast Network, home of Trek Off, the not safe for work comedy Star Trek podcast, and Pop Off, the movie review podcast. Also, the Doctor Who podcast with Phil Stamper and Garrett and RJ Go Hollywood. Finally, Ninjas vs. You, the official podcast of Ninjas vs. Monsters. All of these can be found at endlightpodcast.com or by searching EPN on iTunes. Search EPN on iTunes and subscribe to all of our free, fun shows. All from Endlight Entertainment. Awesome lives here.